hey y'all part two coming up in just one second here on the thursday or yeah thursday <laughs> july 14th 2022 edition here on the chase thomas podcast where i'm still the aforementioned chase thomas coming to you live from knoxville tennessee part two here on the program is a fun one old friend 68 of the fans matt turnoff of chuck and turnoff over on the network back in the home state in the home city of atlanta georgia a lot of fun being able to reconnect with matt and talk all things college football with him or uh, college football atlanta sports with matt a lot of college football this week so i got college football on the rain but talking about the braves the hawks the falcons a lot a lot of fun stuff uh with matt here on the thursday july 14th 2022 edition uh with matt so part two coming up in just one second we wrap up with brian curtis of the ringer to talk university of texas and some more college football so um a lot of fun uh here on the thursday edition of the program thank you guys for making the chase most podcast part of your daily listen and for sticking around here today on the program make sure you're subscribed on apple Podcasts, spotify or however you get your podcast so that uh, you always are able to uh, check out and get alerted to the new episodes when they go up every single day at the same time uh, every day ready for your morning commute or whenever or however you listen don't forget you can watch this very program in in full and check out all of our other video content over on youtube.com slash chase Thomas podcast uh, like and subscribe all that good stuff over on the youtube page as well all right part two coming up with matt turnoff in just one second okay Aaron, let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back on a wednesday morning the chase thomas podcast with Matt Chernoff, old friend. Matt, did you know that we actually, uh, quote unquote, worked together uh, a decade ago now? Is it that long ago? That just means we're getting old. We're getting old, man. I'm 31. So I was doing the math where it was like, yeah, I was I was in college, undergrad, and I wasn't even a senior. So I had it. It's a decade, man. It, yeah. uh, well, I'm 35 now. So that's, you know, that's <laughs> the math works out. Oh, man. Uh, does it feel like you've been doing sports radio for as long as you have? It doesn't, you know, it's weird that you start adding up all the years and trying to come up with, you know, because I was in a different place at another station. So that feels like a different lifetime. Then you come to this place and it feels like a different lifetime. And there are so many other kind of gigs along the way that you add it all up and you're like, yeah, it has been 20 couple of years at this point. It's kind of nuts. It does. Uh, have you thought about a number? Do you want to go 30? Do you have, do your kids have a preference? Does your wife have a preference on how long you do it? Probably let's get them through college and then we'll, uh, we'll figure out where we are. But no, you know, I love doing this. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. Like I know people who want to walk away and go sit on a beach and while I love my vacation, I love this too much. Like mm-hmm. this is one of those things that I don't see myself fully giving up. Now, maybe I'm not doing it full time at some point later on, but like this is too much fun. I mean, we talk about it being work and it is work, but it's what we love to do. No, I have no, you know, desire to walk away from this at some point. I don't have a countdown clock going on. I'd love to do it as long as I could. Mm-hmm. Well, have you thought about doing a Brian Hoyt situation where you just, uh, you leave it up in the air and then you have this grand return and really, really just drive the knife into a lot of fans all around the, the state. I like how you call it the Brian Hoyt situation. No, mm-hmm. there's no, my life is never going to revolve around anything called the Brian Hoyt situation. <laughs> no, I, I plan to, you know, my career to go a little bit differently than his, I'll do respect. And I say this out of love, but his path, I will not follow. Yeah. 
I, I think that's a good rule of thumb for anyone who's thinking about which direction to go. Don't follow the Brian Hoyt, uh, Brian Hoyt path. I think that's always oh. a, a good way to go. It is funny, though, when I watch the show and things like that, I love that it's all on video. So when I'm working throughout the day, uh, I can watch you guys and it's just easier. Uh, yeah. uh, the, the video component is just a really cool thing. Do you notice it, though, that you're I like... forget you're, about it. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, it always fascinates me why people have an interest in watching radio. Yeah. And I sort of did it myself through the years, but... Uh, I don't think about it. That's the the joy of where the cameras are that I never even remember that it's on. And there's some good and bad to that because uh, you'll see some hand gestures from now and then and some facial expressions. But no, I don't. I don't even give it a, a thought until I'm reminded to mention something or promote something for the video stream that's even there. Yeah. Um, it's also interesting, like one of the things I would tell folks, or I would wonder about folks is like, uh, it's clear that times change where Chuck is so much more laid back. Chuck now is a totally different human being. So when I watch him, and I listen to him. He's completely different. Do you notice that? Or because you're with him every day, that man, he got in shape. He's out here. He's uh, just more laid back. He's like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. It's just not the Chuck I remember uh, from a decade ago. I feel like he's changed a lot. I think he's a mellow. Yeah, I mean, again, I think you'd have a better perspective because being away. Yeah. Kind of gives you an idea about that. I mean, does age you know, soften and kind of, yeah. yeah, maybe it does. Um, man, happily married guy. That's mm-hmm. a great gig. He gets to work with me every day. What else could you possibly want? That's the trifecta right there. So, but yeah, I, again, I would trust, when people, uh, house sit for him, he's always considerate on that front for any, who's gone a certain way. Um, no, maybe, I mean, don't we all mellow at some point? Like it's some, at some juncture of your career, you start realizing, we're yelling over guys running around bases, you know, we're catching a ball before their foot touches the end zone line. Like this stuff is not all that serious that it takes, you know, you losing your mind every day for four hours on a radio. Oh yeah. It's uh, it's also extremely strange when you're living in a college town and you're walking around campus and you see a, like a Tennessee basketball player, like Zakai Ziegler, who I've seen multiple times this summer and you make eye contact multiple times and you don't you know that he's noticed you and you've noticed him a couple times and you're like I, i'm not a fan i, I can't do this and i don't know yeah. what to say. i have nothing to say to you and well, I, i'm not falling huh you know what the beauty of that is i think what you're realizing what? even at 31 is small talk is dumb it's so dumb there's it's no dumb. reason for us to talk yeah. yeah because nobody wants to be involved in the small talk you don't want to do it you say hi to each other you move on and then the problem with small talk is the small talk very quickly shifts into big talk yeah. And once we've moved on from the small talk, now we've lost our ability to have small talk. So <laughs> I'm a big fan of the nod, the mm-hmm. kind of acknowledgement, and then we just keep going. I did this weird hand thing. I don't, I don't know. It no. wasn't really a wave. It was yeah. just the, it was, it was not good. No hand gesture, no hands, no waves, no, like a head nod. I'm telling you, a good head nod, a little smile, mm-hmm. and then you just keep going. Yeah. I mean, Joe Milton was the one where I was like, oh, I, I, all I would say is, wow, you're a gigantic human being. Like, I can't believe you play quarterback. Like, you're, uh, you yeah. are a gigantic human being who's like eight years younger than me. It's very strange. Um, well, Matt, there is some uh, Atlanta stuff that I want to pick your brain on uh, as we get started here on a Wednesday morning. The Braves, uh, they come back, they win uh, game two in this three game series with the Mets. That's um, mm-hmm. now a game and a half back from the Mets. A lot of Mets games up on the docket for a lot of folks who are not aware. Like this is not all that serious because they played each other uh, still, uh, what, 10 plus times over the and next 12 more times after yeah. they play game three. Yeah. That's insane. So it it's, there's still a lot of baseball between the Mets and the Braves uh, still to be played. But what are what have your uh, early thoughts from the series been thus far? 
Well, I think it's interesting that we're six games in in these two series that they played, and they're 3-3. I mean, the runs, I mean, the games have been close. Uh, I mean, a couple of things. I think as this goes along, we're going to have different-looking teams. Like the Mets, the next time the Braves play that, it would be early August in New York. At that point, they will have added, I think, a bat or two because they seriously need to add a bat or two. There's also a chance they add an arm or two in their bullpen. So the team you're seeing right now that hasn't had Jeff McNeil and that hasn't had Starling Marte, I mean, even with those two, their offense is, is pretty putrid. But without them, you saw the struggle to score runs in both of the games. Uh, so, like, the team you're seeing now compared to the team we see in August, and then, as you said, when they play, you know, they'll have two more series after that. I think it's going to be a very different-looking team. My gut is, depending on what the Mets do, and I can, you know, change this seeing what they do at the deadline, I think the Braves are a better team, 1-26. to I think if the Mets get DeGrom back, which I'll have my doubts until I see him on the mound, and I'll have my doubts until I see him the next time in his next turn, and I'll have my doubts every time he makes you know, his spot in the rotation start. That being said, I just think the Braves have a better offense. I think the Braves have a better bullpen. Uh, I think the Braves – there is something, too, I've said this many times about trust when it comes to teams. And I said this a year ago, and the Braves were kind of in the same position. They weren't playing as well. But we were in August, and I looked at the Braves, the Phillies, and the Mets, and said, who do I trust? And I don't trust the Phillies. I still have my doubts about the Mets, as improved as they are. And I trust the Braves more that – you know, the, the season series, who knows? Maybe they split – you know, the next 12 games, and it's, you know, it comes down to who beats the Nats up, who beats the Marlins. I just think the Braves are the better team and will win the division when it's all done. And that's all cool. My whole thing is that, like, when people get war- wrapped up in this, it's like they're both going to be in the playoffs. Like, it's all about matchups and who gets the Dodgers early on mm-hmm. and who, I mean, where things go, where you want the Brewers, I'm sure, for a lot of fans. But, I mean, I think these are two playoff teams. I think at this point it's pretty certain that uh, the Mets and the Braves will both be – and the playoffs is just where the seating will be in like the Phillies. Like they're still in a really good position to make the playoffs. So there could be three teams uh, from the NL East making it. And, you know, then it's just like we saw last year. No one saw Jorge Soler and a Rosario and no. up and down the list. Like, right. I think it's too hot. But I, I guess the one caveat to this one is, and I'm with you that they're both going to be in. I would much rather be in that position where you sit that first round out. I could set my mm-hmm. pitching up. If I'm a, you know, whoever loses the East is going to be really good and might do it with 90 some odd wins. But think about having, in the Braves' case, if you play that first new round of the playoffs in that best of three, that you're going to set up, if you can set up, with Freed, and then whatever order they decide to go with a, you know, a Morton or a Strider or Ian or whatever they decide to do, or Kyle. But now you're setting up for that second series, and let's say you had to go to New York or L.A., and they're sitting back with that four days off setting the rotation. I think it's a very big deal, in fact. You can make an argument that what caught the Dodgers last year is they were pushed so hard by the Giants that it completely messed up their rotation. Uh, Dave Roberts completely messed it up himself, and by the time they got to the Braves, they weren't the same team combined with their injuries. So I'm with you, they'll both get in, but there is some legitimate advantage to getting that division, that first or second seed. Interesting. Um, well, how do you think it goes tonight? This is your opportunity to be clairvoyant, Matt Turnoff, uh, after the game. Do you think they win the series? Uh, I mean, I would bet the way Charlie Morton's going against this lineup, again, the Met lineup, they have such issue scoring runs. So if Morton, who's now gone seven innings in four of his last five, if he pitches that way, it's probably another low-scoring game. But again, I would think the Braves would have an advantage in the game. I, I, unless you help them by walking guys right now, this lineup, like, they're they're playing guys that, frankly, need a good catcher. Last night, the, the, the kid that hit behind the plate, I mean, they are a team. Like, Nimmo can scare you a little bit. Alonzo can always hit a long ball. 
Lindor can do some stuff. Outside of that, you look at that lineup and you're like, I, I don't know where I'm going, like that I'm scared, that I, you know, I can't go get out. So if it's in a one-game vacuum, I would think the Braves are more than to play today. It is kind of wild. I mean, they're they're deep, and the Braves don't really have any holes, but they also have been really fortunate on the injury luck uh, part of all of this. Is a lot of guys are healthy, and a lot of guys are healthy this summer in an important time. So, fingers crossed on that on on that front. Uh, outside of Albies, that uh, it that keeps going. But um, I'm curious to get your perspective. What do you think the Braves are up to with the number 35 pick? What do you think they do uh, with that? Do you think they have their sights set on like a Kumar Rocker? Do you think? It's one of my guys up here in Knoxville. I don't know if you knew this or not, Matt, but Tennessee baseball is, is back and they had a really, really good year. And uh, a lot of people uh, had some thoughts. Uh, Buck Blue, no hard feelings, really went after um, the Tennessee baseball team and it really enjoyed uh, them going down a few weeks ago, uh, I guess a month ago now against Notre Dame. But Blade Tidwell, really good arm. He's an option there potentially. But do you think the Braves made that move because they have some sort of internal understanding that someone they really like is going to fall is going to fall a little bit and that would be like a kumar maybe it's a blade maybe it's a ben joyce from here do you think they have someone already in mind for number 35 to move on from waters and hoffman i would guess there's a group of guys i mean that's i mean at 35 you're guessing a little bit but i'm sure they have a group of players i i would look at this more sort of as a philosophical kind of shift right now like drew waters was at this point regressing he was blocked by Michael Harris. I think the Braves realized the value had dropped so much in Waters. So to get a chance to move him, two other prospects, and frankly, C.J. Alexander was a 26-year-old who was still in double-A, so that wasn't going to fly. He's playing third base. The other kid, Hoffman, they actually kind of like with low-level arms, so that could still play out. To move that to now couple pick 20 with pick 35, and they get $10 million in their bonus pool to kind of spread around. I think one thing we've seen with Dana Brown since he took over the scouting department working with Alex is they are in this window where right now they're championship good. They're much more willing to move these picks. So if you ask me what they do at 35, I don't know. But what I think is interesting is, like if you go back, Dana Brown's been running the draft since 2019. They've already moved half their draft picks in 2019 either to the majors or in trades. You saw that last year at the deadline and part of the Matt Olson deal. Mm-hmm. They have two guys already from the 2020 draft and Spencer Strider and Bryce Elder who have already been up here and a couple of guys who were traded as well. So I don't know specifically what they do at 35, but I think we've seen a philosophical change that we're in this window where those assets, yeah, we'd love to develop them and make them the next Michael Harris or Spencer Strider, but that could be a pick we turn around and trade in a year with mm-hmm. the player if it turns into something we can help the major league team with now. So again, I, I wouldn't guess at what they're going to do with it, but there's enough value there. Last time they made a deal like this, they picked up, you know, the 41st pick, which was Austin Riley eventually back in 2015. So again, to get sort of that lucky would be asking a lot, but it gives you the opportunity. Hey, and you can't go wrong taking a Tennessee guy at that spot. If that's what you want to do. I've heard that. Uh, people forget. Um, Who's been the biggest surprise though for the Braves this year? Before the year, when you're doing your preview and you were thinking about positions and you were thinking about uh, how things were going to go, who has been the biggest where you're like, I did not see this coming? Could be good, it could be bad. Uh, well, I mean, the obvious would be Harris. I mean, like Michael Harris wasn't on the radar to be in the bigs this quickly. He was on the radar in the organization. He was the number one prospect. But think about what Michael Harris has done, Chase. Like offensively, it's been a huge surprise. But the way he settled everything in the outfield for a couple of different reasons, right? He becomes your center fielder that, like, they're talking gold glove for a guy who came up in the end of May. That's how good he's been when you start looking at this, the defensive run save and some of the other analytics. But it also moved Adam Duvall out of that spot. And Adam, I thought, to his credit, did a good enough job. He's not a center fielder. 
So you move him to left field. I don't think it's coincidence his offense picked up a little bit from there. It also allowed you to get Ozuna the hell off the field as much as possible to where he was supposed to be DHing. So I think that settled a lot of that stuff. And by putting Harris in the bottom of the order, and I, I saw the number the other day that the Braves uh, run production, one, two, three in the order, four, five, six, and seven, eight, nine, it's essentially the same. I think that's a lot to do with him settling at the bottom of the order. Dansby was hitting down there before, but I, I don't think anybody, you know, Spencer's been a, a really good surprise, right? There's no doubt. But by just like a, a nose, I would say Harris, because all the things he's brought to a team at 21, the youngest player in the majors that nobody would have expected this quick. Yeah, I mean, he did not take in a bat in AAA in Gwinnett. Right. Like, he just makes that jump. It's it's wild, and it's just one of those things where you're like, I, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know how the, any of these things are going to go. Christian Pache may never figure it out, and he was Andrew Jones 2.0, and then Michael Harris right. just skips AAA, and he's just ready to go right out of the gate. Um, you just don't know. Um, what we also don't know is the Hawks and whether or not they are done uh, this summer and whether or not John Collins is just going to be welcome back with open arms. Uh, the Atlanta sports guys, we've been talking about that for weeks and just getting our different perspectives on it where, I mean, that's the smart play because I've always insisted that no matter what you do with John Collins, if you do move him, you're losing the trade. There's no way to make the Hawks better in 2022 by giving up. Like unless Harrison Barnes is the one guy who, the, who you can get for John Collins where it's like, yeah, that's probably going to be fine. If that guy is not available, generally speaking, you're going to get an at, a future asset. You're going to get a pick. You're going to get something. And then you're going to hurt this roster because you're going to have to slide somebody into that four spot. who's not ready. You're going to try to go big with Inyeka and Clint Capella. Maybe that's probably not going to go great. Collins actually needs to be on this roster, but it's also been like you've had him in trade rumors for so long and you've kind of made it clear to John Collins that this is not like you're not a part of this long term core, which is a shame because he's a huge draft win. And if you look Mm -hmm. around where he was picked, everyone's gone. Everyone's on another team. They're out of the NBA and he is a huge win. He's just done everything they've asked him to do, get better each and every year. And that's just the biggest wild card is like, how do you bring him back into the fold, especially when you add in another high usage guy like DeJounte Murray, where this team is entirely built on their on their two guards and their wings who like they are going to pay DeAndre Hunter, it looks like a lot of money to be uh, hopefully they're Andrew Wiggins and they still believe in where DeAndre Hunter's going. And you have Jalen Johnson, you have a bunch of other wings in there. You brought in Mo Harkless, you bring in um, uh, Justin Holiday. And then the shots just aren't going to be there for John. Like the offensive usage is not going to be there. So they can't tell him, hey, we bring you back. Here's this opportunity. We're going to feature you more. There's not. Like he's going to be featured less. And if you're John Collins, you're like, what the hell? What What do you I, – I understand completely why John Collins would be super frustrated, but I also just don't think Travis Schlink can move him. Does that Is that kind of where you're at? Well, I think a, a couple of things. It's been very weird to me that for the last two and a half years, any time – a Hawks trade rumor comes up, John Collins has been involved. Because I'm with you that I mean, John does a lot of things, right? John does a lot of stuff that probably is not going to get a bunch of attention. Here's the one thing that we've noticed. Mm. The day Clint Capella got here, John was willing to do less mm. his role offensively. Clint got the roller opportunity that John used to get. So he went from essentially 20 and 10 to drop down to 17 and 8. And those are just, you know, just the basic numbers. But it's the other things that John, I think he's the best energy guy on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't ignore the fact that he shoots nearly 40% from three. That corner three has become a huge asset. I think his defense, which at one point was a disaster, is now good enough. It's not great, but it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it this way. Like, to me, there's there's a couple of layers with the Hawks right now. 
they're trying to walk two parallels. Like the one parallel is we want to be good enough to, to surround trade to win a championship. But the second one is, but we also don't want to go into the luxury tax. And they won't mm. say that, but I think that's pretty much understood at this point. To trade away Kevin Herter essentially for less. I mean, Mo Harkless and Justin Holliday are just rotation pieces. And to get a draft pick, maybe, that could essentially turn into twos, that was a money move, right? The murder move was a money move. The Collins move always felt like, and I'm with you, that if they were going to trade John, it was going to be the package to try to get whatever that next star would look like. So John and then two other pieces would help to make a deal to get a star. When that didn't become available, and when Jeremy Grant ended up in Portland, and when Bagley ended up in Detroit, like all the dance cards were starting to get filled, I think the Hawks realized, A, he's on a good contract. He can still play an important role. And to your point about usage, I don't know that that necessarily matters as much because they don't run a bunch of stuff for John, which I've always had a problem for. I think you can run a lot more for John, but I think he can get a lot of stuff in transition with those two guards and their passing ability. I think when the second unit's in, you mix him in more with, with DeJounte Murray and, and John Collins, because as much as you, like you mentioned Jalen Johnson, I'll wait and see on Jalen. I hope for Jalen, but I'll, I'll wait and see. Right now, Jalen's your backup four. I don't expect Mo Harkless to give me a ton in that position. So I think there's a lot of ways you could use John, both with Trey on the floor, Trey off the floor, with DeJounte Murray to get the most out of him. I don't see how you get better at this point trading away John unless it just becomes another financial move. And that's, again, that's all the Kevin Herter deal was. And that, that kind of frustrates me because you're telling everybody we want to be championship good, but we just gave away what we think is a really good player because we're about to embark on his four-year, $65 million deal for two guys to come off the books next year. It would send, like you said, that's a lot of mixed messaging where they're like, whoa, 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 look at this thing over here. We just brought in DeJounte Murray, but don't look at this thing where we move Kevin Herter and John Collins. Like, it's one of those things where I agree. And they say that they are okay doing that with a winner, but it's also like, we'll see. So maybe they have to be good right out of the gate. Maybe that's a situation where they have to be at the top, tip top of the East um, right out of the gate. And they're at top. Well, and that, but there's my fear though, right? Like if you look at this team right now, it's currently constructed. Let's say it's mostly finished. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're better than Miami. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're better than Milwaukee. I don't think they're better than Boston. It doesn't mean you can't have a better record because regular season NBA is weird. How some teams either due to injuries or just resting guys, that could certainly be the case. My thing about the DeJounte Murray deal like, I love DeJounte Murray, the player. I think he's really good. I don't think he's a superstar. I think the Hawks gave up too much. I think they knew they were giving up too much, but they were willing because they wanted to go get a complimentary piece to, to trade. Mm-hmm. But now they trade most of the draft assets, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so funny to see Hawks fans the day Kevin Durant announced he wants to be traded. They're like, okay, now we'll go get Kevin. And I said, guys, you're out of draft picks. <laughs> the day before, you just got done saying the draft picks don't matter. But they matter because they're they're assets. And the assets mm-hmm. to get Kevin Durant, I'll use him for instance, or what we saw to get Rudy Gobert, or in Murray's case. It's yeah. not just like in Murray's case, they cleared money with Gallinari. But in Rudy Gobert's case, it took a collection of players and five draft picks, right? And the yeah. Hawks are now out of their draft capital. My only fear, unless they're willing to go heavily into the tax, and I, I'll believe it when I see it, is I don't know how they get better from here. Like, I think the Hawks will be better than they were last year. I think they have a chance to be pretty good. I like Murray. But my hope, Chase, was that with Trey and what they were going to surround him with, they were never going to accept just being better. Like, they were going to try to figure out how to get championship good. And I don't know the route now for them to take that next step into elite championship good unless Tony Wrestler is willing to say, I'll go into the tax, screw revenue sharing money that I'll get. I'll pay, you know, the double money, two for one, just being in there. And we'll do that. I don't know if he's willing to do that anytime soon. So they're 
their potential is to be really good. If they get great, it's going to be because they go into the tax. I don't know if they'll do it. I don't even know if it's that. For me, I think it's Anyeka. Does he get a bigger opportunity? Because he is still someone who I think can get that. Like people, <laughs> there is some BAM potential still with Anyeka and Kongwo. Like, I've heard that. I gotta, I, he's got to get a jump shot at some point. I mean, well, that's we what start he's, doing, he's working on it. Like that's I, I hope so. And I, I like Anyeka. I just think, like I've heard two things. If Anyeka and if, if Hunter, those are two right. big ifs. Those guys become any, like Anyeka was picked sixth mm-hmm. and he's the backup center at this point still. Well, he's so kind of that's gonna, that's not really his fault though because Capella and fault. Trey are like this, and I, when I was telling folks, I was like, Clint's not moving. Like you read his no. comments and you look at how Trey and Clint talk about each other. Sure, he has a no trade clause on this contract on on his uh, Hawks tenure as long as Trey Young is still. So his then guy. you ask the question of how can Anyeka really spread his wings playing right. twenty two minutes or you know twenty minutes? And I like a Kongu and I like Hunter. I just wouldn't bank on those guys becoming as you said, Andrew Wiggins and Bam Adebayo to take this team to the next level. I'd love to see it. I'll root like hell for it. I just wouldn't bank on it. I wouldn't bank on it with Hunter. I still think Okongwu is going to get there. I am a big, big Okongwu guy, and he's shown flashes. And if he's that guy and he's that anchor that makes Clint expendable, where it's, I think, one of those things where Trey, and this is part of why I think they brought in DeJounte Murray, and this is why it's so fascinating with him, is when you go through different usage rates of who Trey has been around for to this point in his career, and people are like, well, Trey gobbles up a lot of usage. He gobbles up a lot of oxygen. How is this going to work with DeJounte? I think for him, part of it is that he has to respect you as a playmaker and as a basketball player to move off the ball. Like he has to have some sort of understanding, like you can handle it. And I think that's why Bogey is able to do that. So when people talk about it, I'm like, look at Bogey's usage. Bogey had that free reign where Trey respected Bogey and that he could lead the offense. He could bring it up. He could. He was a really good Pujic guy, and he was just a really good shooter. When he's healthy, it's his, he's had a bad knee, and that's about it. But when Bogey's healthy, he has swung playoff series. He has been in a critical part of this organization, and he's a vet that Trey respects. Murray's the same way, where I think Trey will look at it <clears throat> in terms of like, you're an all-star. I'm an all-star. You obviously, um, like, I'm okay handing the reins over to you a little bit. And he, like, looks at Clint where he's like, I know Clint's a great role man. I know how he worked with Harden. I trust Clint Capella on the floor to do what I need done. I don't think he's there with Anyeka yet, where Anyeka just kind of has to keep getting those reps in and those opportunities with Trey to kind of build that bond. But I don't know. I think Anyeka's upside just as a shooter, I still think he's going to get there. The defense being able to guard one through five. Sure. That's just, it's so no, big. I, I like the combo. Back up though to Murray though, because you brought up mm-hmm. something I think that it's, it's sort of being lost in this. Because I agree with you. We've seen Trey in, in small doses play off the ball. It's really good mm-hmm. in the numbers. To your point, I think he will trust Murray. So I'm not worried about that as much. I hope people aren't inflating DeJounte Murray to a point where they set their expectations to a level that they're only going to be disappointed because DeJounte's, He's a good player. And I, you know, the trade was made. I heard you just got an all-star and I don't mean to nitpick this. He was a replacement on the all-star team because two guys got hurt. That doesn't make a season any less, but he also got every opportunity in San Antonio to have the ball in his hands. 90% of the time you're talking about Trey and and Murray were two of the the highest pick and roll guys in the league, two of the highest, you know, usage rate with the ball in their hands. This trade to me becomes how quickly DeJounte can play off the ball. Mm-hmm. at a high level because Trey can do it more and, and we agree I think he'll do it more but let's be clear Trey's still going to have the ball in his hands at a minimum 70-75% of the time how does Murray who's not a great jump shooter fit into that because he's a great slash guy he's a good finisher he's good in open space like 
that to me, because I think deep, defenses are going to let him sit on the wing and sit beat us from three because he hasn't proven he can shoot well enough. How Murray handles those opportunities when he's not going to be on the ball, which is going to be a lot, to me tells me how this trade is going to go. Yeah, and hey, he's going to get a lot of better looks. Like he had never played with someone like just right. we were talking about how he plays with Trey, where in San Antonio, it's just you're running with Lonnie Walker. You're running with uh, just a lot of dudes who defenses don't respect uh kelton johnson was a really good player for them but by and large josh primo being 19 like it was just a lot of youth and Dejounte murray was asked to do a lot on a really ta- like young just uh they just did not have the talent that they needed to to be who they were uh for years and years uh earlier with greg popovich but i i'm not as concerned with that one i think they'll figure it out or i think it'll be one of those harsh realities for hawks fans when it comes to trey where if Trey is frustrated and Trey is like, I'm not playing off the ball like this, I'm not doing this. Like there is a potential for a disaster here where they they say it's like one of those things where you get two all-stars in a room and they're like, oh, wait, we are so excited. We respect each other's game. We're going to make this work. We're going to be a two-headed monster. It's all fun in the summer. But if it's game 13 and the Hawks are like <laughs> six and seven or whatever, and it's a problem, this they have not been able to figure this out, that's that's going to spill over and Trey's going to win that power struggle. And it's going to be one of those weird things where this is our guy. And like, you have to sit Trey down. It's like, we have to make this work. Like you said, the trap capital is gone. Like this is it. Like this is your prime guy. This is your prime running mate. You guys have to make this work. And it's but going to be to, so to your point though. If, if they got out of the gate slow, I wouldn't be surprised. Like there's going to be some getting to know you in this. It's going to be clunky. So if they started six and seven or, or, you know, they're not on the same page, I would expect that more than I would expect them to be, like in sync right away because this is going to be a culture shock for both of these guys. Yeah. I think the good news about Murray, two things. He's a fantastic defensive player, which we know matters playing next to Trey to have a guy who's 6'4 with this wingspan who can, you know, he was number one in the league in steals, gets in passing lanes. So that's a big deal with Capella. And my hope is DeAndre's been good defensively at times, but he also hasn't lived up to the billing that they, you know, he's going to be our guy who can guard four spots, right? And shut Mm -hmm. everybody down. And that necessarily hadn't been the case, but if Hunter is what we think he is defensively combined with Murray and Capella, you get better initially that way. But let's say it doesn't work. It just it doesn't fit. It doesn't work. Because Murray's only got two years, and they would take a full year to at least determine that, uh, his contract is so movable. Like, that's another asset down the line. So I don't worry about that, but I don't disregard your point that, who knows, those guys might not fit. I, I'm more prone to believe, because, like, to your point, I think Trey will trust Murray's playmaking, that he'll – his – off the ball stuff will get better. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is everybody's like, well, I want Trey to be Steph off the ball. Nobody in the history of the game is yeah, Steph off happening. the ball, the way he runs and moves off screens. But you just need Trey to do it a little bit more because as much as Trey will get Murray easy stuff, Murray should get Trey easy stuff with open looks and just you know opportunities because of his playmaking that there's, there's a ton of upside. And I like all those opportunities. And if Murray can take his game to another level – well, now all of a sudden they are a top three potential in the East, but these are all ifs that we don't know about right now. Well, and I think the last thing on the Hawks is just it, a lot of this is going to come down to Nate, right? Like Nate's going to have to stagnate the right way. He's going to have to be a lineup assassin. He's going to have to be locked in on how to move these guys around because we talked about Nneka, we talked about Collins, we talked about Bogey, we talked about Jalen Johnson. I mean, AJ Griffin, we'll see. But ultimately, he is going to be tasked with juggling, developing these important young guys, making sure Hunter and Anyeka take the next step, uh, making sure that he plays Jalen Johnson at least a little bit because he was That'd just nice. not he like he just did not play. 
Um, that's a, a nightism, right? Nate with his rookie stuff is a big deal. And, and that's another concern. Like I don't love the Nate fit with two sports cars in the backcourt. Nate is a, he's always been tabbed as a defensive sort of guy and they walk it up and, you know, plotting kind of a, a thing, creativity when it comes to both rotations and just drawing stuff up and just like from a scheme standpoint, that's never been a Nate thing. That's why mm. two years ago when, when they had that great run, I think Nate brought calm and I think mm. that mattered, but I think it was sort of overblown about Nate and schematics. So like from that standpoint, that worries me a little bit that he's going to use two sports cars and he's going to drive like he's in a school zone. That's, I mean, that's the thing that people have to wonder. Like I would not be surprised if Nate is not the guy this time next year, if he's not, I, wouldn't be shocked, I no. think, <laughs> Uh, it'll be interesting. Um, we'll end on this, uh, Matt. So the Falcons, do you think it's better to start Desmond Ritter the whole way to see what you really have in Desmond Ritter before being in a position where, because I mean, CBS sports had the Falcons had the worst roster going into next year. Um, do you just want to throw him out there, see what you have, and then really have a good understanding. If you're in the top three, you can go Stroud, Bryce, or whatever. Or would you be careful with Des if you think that you have a chance at developing into a Dak Prescott type of guy? Like, what do you think they should do in that regard? Well, so let's look at it this way. Let's say CBS Sports, which I don't know that I necessarily agree they have the worst roster. Let's say they're right. Mm-hmm. So if you if you believe, let's start Desmond with the worst roster in the league, <laughs> what do you think that looks like? That's probably not good. Well, that's not good for him. It's not good for them. I also have, have you know, I, I don't want to downplay anybody's hope when it comes to a young quarterback. The likelihood is Desmond Ritter is like 90% or 95% of any third-round pick who's ever been taking a quarterback. That he gets a cup of coffee, he gets a look, but he's really not the guy. Doesn't mean he can't be the exception to the rule, as you mentioned. Russell was a, or a, Dak was a fourth round pick. Russell was a third, but those are exceptions to the rule. When you start running down all the other third round picks who have come in the last 10 or 20 years, you're like, Oh God, Mike Glennon. And you start coming up with these names. I would be very careful with Desmond Ritter. Like the one thing I didn't like about the Falcons acquiring Mariota is I almost thought he was too good for what the plan should have been. Like Mariota mm-hmm. can mess up and win you a game or two that could cost you sort of building through the draft and the next quarterback. Uh, but the, the deal with Mariota is he'll get hurt. Like Marcus right. has always gotten hurt. He's never played 16. And God knows won't play 17. So, I mean, Desmond could be thrown in in week two. My mm-hmm. gut tells me if, if, if Mariota got hurt week two, they would sign another veteran. Mm-hmm. I just – I think you've got to be very cognizant that this is going to be a lot for Desmond Ritter. Like to expect him – maybe we get to week 11, right, and they're three and eight and they're buried. And it's like, okay, what do we have to lose? But – like we're, we're, we're saying on one hand, the roster stinks, play Desmond. Well, if the roster stinks and you're going to play a rookie, he's going to get killed. He's not going to make good decisions. It's going to look bad. And what evaluation are you really going to have, whether it's five games, eight games, or ten games, with a bad roster to know what he is? And that's where I think they're sort of stuck. I would put it to you this way, Jason. I don't think anything Desmond does short of like just being Russell as a rookie is going to change their perspective on getting a quarterback if they're in the top three next year or top five. Yeah, I wonder if it's a win because like he might have great chemistry with Pitts and Drake London right out of the gate. He uh, might be maybe. the offensive line might be better. Like Jalen Mayfield cannot be any worse than he was last year. Is that like, where we that, are that we're Jalen can't be worse, which is that's that's probably true, but that's what a bad bar. That's I mean, it for sure. And you know, there is context to that where he was thrown into position that he had not played and was not ready sure. to go and he was but, but okay, but here's there's a great stop yeah. right there. Like Jalen Mayfield. Everybody who looked at Jalen said they overdrafted him. Mm-hmm. Not supposed to play right away. Jalen got killed. Part yeah. of it is 
to your point that he wasn't ready for it. But part was they're just not very good around him to cover up for mm-hmm. some of the liabilities you're going to get out of a rookie. Now that was on the offensive line. Imagine trying to be the quarterback as a rookie who, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we've seen a lot of young guys play. Like we just watched Tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence stink it up in Jacksonville. The roster mm-hmm. was bad. Coaching wasn't very good. And people are already labeling him this and that. I just think, Again, I won't tell you to lower your expectations on Desmond. I'd say be realistic, and if he surprises you, feel great about it. I would lean towards he's going to look like most third-round picks. Year one and throughout his career, they're just kind of guys. I wouldn't be surprised. I can't quit. Like He uh just a, a winner from then on out in Cincinnati. Dude, I, I just – I would not be surprised. I don't think he's a Mike Glennon type, but I also, like you said, there's not many stories of like the Dak Prescott's and the Russell Wilson's. I just, I'm excited for it. Like I think Desmond Ritter is going to be extremely interesting to watch. And I'm, I'm really excited for the Falcons. Have you found yourself? Are you already preparing? Like, you know, we don't bring up with the Russell and the Dak thing, by the way, look what they walked yeah. into. Yeah, exactly. Like, Great we, we, we never bring up with quarterbacks what they walk into. It's always, well, Jamarcus Russell was the bust mm-hmm. and you know, uh, Josh Rosen was the bust. Dak walks into a really good roster. Russell, now we didn't know it in 2012 with the Seahawks that they were like ready to go and built, but they walked into good stuff. I mean, most of these other quarterbacks, I mean, like, again, I'll use Trevor. What was Trevor going to do with Jacksonville on that team? As good as he might be with that disastrous coaching, the dysfunction going on with the the staff, and then a lack of talent. I don't know. I, I think fans a lot of times will blame the quarterback if it doesn't work. I would always mm-hmm. tell you, look at the surroundings and there's a better chance that like Mac Jones would have come here last year and looked lost with the Falcons. For the mm-hmm. most part, they kind of babysat him in New England and he looked fine. I just think the situation has a lot to do with the player more so than the player himself. He also walked into Atlanta and uh, put together one of the worst football games I've ever he sat did. in my entire life. No, Still, the whole game. Well, that game was at 25 nothing, and yeah, it was a nightmare. That game was one of the most boring football games oh, I've awful. ever sat through. <laughs> that was horrific, folks. If you want to go back and watch the most boring... No, don't. Don't tell them to do that. <laughs> no, Falcons-Pats last year. Oh, my God. I think that was a Thursday night game. Um, yeah. Matt, uh, what can the good folks look out for you this week? Uh, two to six, six eighty. The fan. You got the de- you got uh, you got your own podcast. You got Welcome to Matt Lana. You got a you got a lot of things going. Got the Daily 10 as well, which uh, every day at 10 a.m. That drop, well, depending on when the staff decides to put it up. But in in theory, it goes up at 10 a.m. every day, just a 10-minute whip around of Atlanta, Georgia sports. Welcome to Atlanta Weekly, the uh, radio show, and, uh, you know, whatever else happens. There you go. I'm looking forward to seeing whether or not uh, Matt's clairvoyant picks uh, are true three years from now on Welcome to Atlanta. Love it, brother. All right, that'll do it for part two here on a Thursday on the Chase Moss Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Thank you for making the Chase Moss Podcast part of your daily listen and hope you guys enjoyed uh, Matt and I's conversation. Uh, you can uh, leave this show a five-star rating and review of the episode. Um, tell me what you think of this very program in this particular episode if that's what you would like to do over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if that is indeed how you listen to today's show. You can email the program at chasethomaspodcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at Facebook dot com slash chase thomas writer all right part three coming up the ringers brian curtis in just one second uncle derek how'd i do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah